It's September the 29th, 2006. Ramadi in Iraq. Michael Mansour is a Navy SEAL. He is part of the Delta platoon. He's a machine gunner. He's always in the very front of the firefight. He carries about 100 pounds of equipment, and it's over 100 degrees out there in the dry desert air. On this particular day, there are insurgents. They have quarantined the city, the mosques, the loudspeakers are blaring, kill the Americans, kill the Americans. They've blockaded the streets. He's up on a rooftop, scanning the crowds, scanning the streets to see where the enemy fire is coming from. There's a rocket launcher of grenades, AK-47 machine gun fire. It's all around him. His mind goes back to about a month before. Similar attack. He has a teammate who is pinned down. Gunfire all around him. With machine gun in one hand, and dragging his comrade in the other, he pulls him back to safety, to an evacuation vehicle. For his act of bravery, risking his own life, he will receive the Silver Star. And he wonders if he will need similar bravery today. As he clambers up to the top of the roof, he's standing guard. There's a doorway. The enemy could be coming through there. But then all of a sudden, as his two teammates are scanning over the streets, a grenade hits him directly in the chest. And it falls to the floor. He has but a split second to make his decision. What will he do? Will he jump backwards through the door to save himself? If he does, certainly the other two will die. So in that moment, knowing that he can't throw it back, he jumps forward. And he lands chest first on the grenade. It explodes. And in 30 minutes, U.S. Navy SEAL Michael Monsoor 25 years old, is dead. But because of his act of heroism, his two teammates' lives were saved. It isn't love of country that generally causes people to be heroes, but rather love of their friends. As Jesus once said, there is no greater love that one has than to give his life for his friend. As we look at these next eight weeks, we're going to look at some superheroes who gave their lives, who sacrificed themselves for the greater good, for their friends, and for many who are innocent. But throughout all of this, we are going to point to Jesus, who not only gave his life for those who were innocent, for his friends, for those who loved him, but also for those who wished him evil, for those who wanted to kill him. Jesus died for those who were guilty, including you and me. 
And so as we look at these movies, we are going to hopefully see some great qualities in other heroes, maybe even in some of you. And I hope that you'll look at your own character to see how God could use your hero-like qualities to save others as well. But through it all, our focus will always be on the cross and on Jesus. I want you to look at your notes with me for just a moment. And let's see if we can agree on this. If you look here, would you agree with me that the world is messed up? Anybody? We live in a messed up world, don't we? All kinds of things are going wrong, probably as much now as any time in history. But the fact is the world has always been messed up from the very beginning when Adam and Eve decided that they knew better than God on how to run things. When they wanted knowledge beyond what they already had, literally wanting superpowers that belong to God. The world is indeed messed up, and even, well, the world is broken, and so are we. We confessed that earlier, didn't we? I want you to point now to the person next to you and say, you are messed up. Can you do that? You are messed up. And then, because, because it's true, then say, I am broken. Can you do that? I am broken. You know, this, this is so true. Even the best lives, if you look around you, even the best lives and those who have the best relationships, those who have all kinds of people who love them, those who are wealthy and successful, those who seem to have everything, living the American dream, I can assure you that they are broken as well. Every single one of you has a backstory. No matter how you look on the outside, there's something else that's going on on the inside. The world is broken and so are we. And no matter how much we are loved, no matter what is going on, it's a struggle. C.S. Lewis once said that if we have a desire for something that we can't seem to grasp, it's probably because we were not made for this world. The truth is we were made for another world. In the beginning, this was paradise. It was heaven. And that is what God has in store for all of us. But in the meantime, there is a war that is going on, and it's real. There is a spiritual battle, just like Michael Mansour was fighting a war that was right in front of him. We are also fighting a war. It's just that we can't always see it. Just as God exists, just as God is real, there are demonic forces as well. The devil exists, just like there are angels, there are demons as well. And so at the end of time, when the Lord returns, when Jesus comes, they are in all of his glory to restore things to their former order. We're going to be on one side or the other, and we're going to need to ask ourselves, which side were we on? Now, if you look at the world today, uh, in America and, and as Christians, we often feel like there is good in everyone. How many times have you heard it said, or maybe even said it yourself, that when there is a crisis or when the pressure is on, that then the good in people will come out? We've all probably thought that. We look for the good in people as well. But the reality is people are not good. 
The Bible says that no one is righteous. No, not even one. Not a single person other than Jesus himself. And our inclinations as well are evil. Now, just to give you a couple of examples. In the last 100 years, so think back, this is 2023, so 100 years, 1923. World War I is already over in which millions of people have been displaced. Hundreds of thousands of people have been killed, injured, maimed in war. Discounting all of that, over the next hundred years, there are a hundred million people. A hundred million people die in war. A hundred million people. Because the rulers of certain countries were either atheists or atheists or evil people. And it goes on today. There are dictators around the world who are still oppressing their people. There are children who are being sold into slavery, thousands of them every single day, to do things that we can't even imagine a child should ever do. And we don't even have to go anywhere around the globe. We can see evil in our own country. It's not just because people are selfish, but because they are influenced by evil. How else do you explain Facebook these days? I don't know. Or cancel culture, or simply the things that we do and say to one another. And so this war is real. We are in it. As Paul writes, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And this is why we love the movie so much. This is why we love superheroes so much. Because we know that there is a battle between good and evil. And so often it seems like the bad guys are winning. That evil is the one that wins out. And we long for the good. We hope for the good. We long for the time when, when the superhero is going to vanquish all the enemies. And we can stand up and cheer at the end of the movie because good has won out. We long for that other world that C.S. Lewis has described. We love to see the, the good in people. We long, we're even enchanted for virtue. And as much as people say that there is a choice today between right and wrong, most people still know the difference. The person that has courage person that will sacrifice, a person that has wisdom and will search for what is truly good. And all of this simply assumes that human life truly matters, that heroes are involved in a high-stakes mission to save the world. Well, my friends, the truth is, so are we. We're involved in a high-stakes mission as well. The only difference, most likely, in the movies, the superheroes, sometimes Superman will save the entire planet. Or you have Luke Skywalker against Darth Vader. It's, it's not just the planet, but it's an entire galaxy or, or solar system. For us, it's usually one person. One person. There's a quote 
from The Lord of the Rings, where Gandalf says, all we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given us. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given us in the relationships that we have. Now, later on in our prayers this morning, we are going to, to highlight some milestones. We have a number of couples here in our congregation that, that are celebrating over 50 years of marriage, a great milestone, some even over 60 years of marriage. We're also going to highlight the milestones of those who are turning 90 or more this week. The oldest member of Emmanuel is going to be 97 uh, this week. We have about a dozen individuals who are over 90 years old, most of them still active and coming to church every single Sunday. Now, here's the bad news. If you're over 90 years old, you're probably not going to live another 20, 30 years. Sorry, but that's just the truth, right? I mean, we have got a lot of old people, and you may not see another year. But isn't it true that you may not see another year too? None of us knows when our last day here on this earth will be. And so we need to make the best of it. And I'm not talking about climbing uh, the corporate ladder, not being a success in earthly things, not becoming rich or famous or wealthy, or even successful in your job, but I'm talking about that one person that you can influence, that one person that you can truly save. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone in this community. Someone who needs to hear the the true story about good versus evil, the greatest story that was ever told about a God. Now think of this. The greatest story ever told, not in a movie, from the beginning. But there is a God who loved us so much that he became human flesh. 2,000 years ago, after he had been telling the story of what was to come for thousands of years, it finally comes to pass. And all the people on earth were waiting for this day. They're thinking that it's going to come down from the clouds and there's going to be, you know, cosmic energy and light and thunder and, and all kinds of, of things that are going to mark the greatest coming of God himself. And then this twist, what does he do? He comes as a baby in a stable somewhere in the Middle East, in Bethlehem. And though the angels announce it, only a few shepherds hear the message. And then you hear nothing about this God who was born to save the entire world. Save one story when he's 12 years old until he turns 30. The world doesn't even know that he's here. His family can't even tell that he is a God. People around him from Nazareth wonder if anything good could ever come from a place like that. Then all of a sudden, he bursts onto the scene. And he tells a different kind of story about loving others, about doing unto them, treating them the same way that we want to be treated, going the extra mile, sacrificing oneself. And he causes such a stir in that little area of the world that all these people who should have known that the prophecies were now true, they want to get rid of him. They want to kill him. 
And they do. After being tormented and, and whipped and beaten, he's lashed to a cross, the, the most cruel kind of torture, of execution that anyone could ever experience. Nails pounded through his hands and feet. The crown of thorns jammed on his head. He's mocked. He's spit on. And then after a few hours in the hot sun, he finally gives up his life. And again, not just for a few friends, but for the very people that hate him. For the evil people who murder him. And for all of those who will come, who will curse his name. He dies for those who may not even know who he is. Completely out of love. One of the greatest stories ever told. We love our superheroes, don't we? Because they can point to the good in people, maybe even in us. But finally, because as we see these superheroes, even if we don't see it here on this earth, good finally does overcome all evil. As we go into this series, we need to have an answer for those who do not yet believe. And we need to answer this question, is the God of the Bible, this superhero Jesus, is he actually different from the non-existent gods of mythology for the superheroes in the movies? I have a quote here from Richard Dawkins, who is a prominent atheist. Whenever he is confronted with this question, this is what he says. He says, I found it an amusing strategy when asked whether I am an atheist to point out that that the questioner is also an atheist, <laughs> even if a, he is a Christian. When considering Zeus, Apollo, Amun-Ra, Mithras, Baal, Thor, Wotan, the golden calf, and even the flying spaghetti monster, I just go one God further. Is Dawkins right? Is the God of the Bible no different than the non-existent gods of mythology? Well, if our God is no more than a super angel, if our God is no more than the old man in the clouds, if our God is simply the cosmic clockmaker who has set things in motion, then maybe not. But if our God is who we say he is, the God of the Bible, the creator of the universe, the one who has said, let there be light, and in six days made everything that is, and said it is good. If our God is the one that created the man out of the dust, and said it is very good, if our God is the one who then gave him a helper in Eve, the woman, if our God is the one who from that very beginning has created all eight billion people on our planet and the billions that are to come. If our God is the one who sustains life, 
And if our God is the one who continues to live in our heart, if our God is indeed the God-man, human flesh, and yet divine, that went to the cross to give up his life for us and all people, then indeed he is different. My friends, it's the greatest story that has ever been told. Jesus, as C.S. Lewis once said, is the true myth. If you know the story of C.S. Lewis, he was an atheist, the author of the Chronicle of, of Narnia. In 1931, he had been discussing mythology with his friend J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings. Tolkien had created this new language of Middle-earth. And then he wrote the story of the hobbits and the Lord of the Rings based on the quest for the one thing that can save all mankind, which is Jesus himself. And in telling that story, Lewis's heart began to change. You see, he had always loved mythology. He loved the sacrifices that the gods, these mythical beings, would make for others. But as he read the Bible, he never saw Jesus as the ultimate story, the ultimate God, who would give himself up for everyone. Jesus is indeed the true myth. He truly was born 2,000 years ago. He truly did go to the cross. He truly did sacrifice himself so that you and I and all people could have a life after this one so that we could look forward to an eternity of bliss so that every desire of our heart Everything that we do not have now will one day be ours. And the best news of all is that our God gives us a slice of this very kingdom of heaven as he lives in our heart even now. May God continue to bless you and fill you with the desires of your heart, certainly one day in heaven, but even now here on earth. Amen. Let's all rise. Let's make profession of our faith today through the word.